We are back at Local 16. I'm Jared Rizzi. This is At the Table. We are getting ready for another night of Democratic primary debates. And this is, unfortunately, the largest uh, panel we've, we've ever had. It's the uh, Dodecapod or Dodeca debate. It's, it's a lot. There are 12. The only reason I know that number is because I play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the... <laughs> The amount of people up there will obviously make it difficult to get some good answers. We will see what the moderators, CNN and the New York Times, are able to do. But before we talk about the specifics of what to expect tonight, I wanted to talk to two people who are very engaged on particular issues that have already been making waves in this Democratic primary and, frankly, have shown some of the schisms that exist in you know the liberal slash left slash progressive world uh, of politics. So I want to introduce Walla Begay, who is a staff attorney with the D.C. Nurses Association, mm -hmm. and Alex Lawson, executive director of Social Security Works. Walla, thank you so much for spending some time thank with me. Thank you for having me. Alex, thank you for spending so much time <laughs> with me tonight. Thanks a lot. We are so glad to have the both of you, and these are two issues. When people talk about, Walla, you, you work a lot with Medicare for All, and I want to start with you, and then, of course, Alex, I want you to weigh in on this as well. We have seen Medicare for All and the question of health care as a right, something that was postured during the Affordable Care Act debate, something that was promised during the 2016 primary, mostly from Sanders, and something that has resurged in a big way in this cycle. And this is something that you're working on at the grassroots level right here in the district. So can you talk to me about what you're doing and can you talk to me about how you have been either satisfied or dissatisfied with what you've seen so far? Well, you know, I, I must say um, I represent nurses throughout the district um, and we represent nurses everywhere. We represent nurses who look at the cost because a lot of times someone comes in um, and then there's a nurse that they have that looks and says, okay, this is what we cover, this is what we don't cover. And it's unfortunate because our nurses have come to us and say, it's unfortunate that some things are not covered. Um, a lot of times people are suffering. They have diseases that need to be taken care of, but they don't have the money, they don't have the coverage. This Medicaid might not cover it, Medicare might not cover it, and the co-pays are too high. And they're coming to us saying, what can we do to make a change? Like what? And that's why a lot of them have gotten involved with the fight for Medicare for all. Um, what makes me so happy, even though we're not at a time where everyone is supporting Medicare for all, but I have been a supporter of Medicare for all for a very long time. I actually have the background of someone who was denied health care when I was in college because I actually was on Medicaid when I was, um, you know, before I turned 18. And when I turned 18, I went to the doctor, um, emergency room, because I had an allergic reaction, actually got a $3,000 bill, <laughs> something that my parents could never afford. Immigrants that just came to this country, they were like, what can we do? We don't have any money. And it went on my credit. And after that, it was a, it would, it became a lesson This is the only me. country in the, in the developed world right. that has that kind of a system. Exactly. And I have family in, in um, Europe, like in England, who every, everything is taken care of. They were even, la even laughing. I was in London a couple of months ago, a month ago, and they were like laughing. And they were like, you need insulin. Like, not even laughing, but just kind of like, this is ridiculous. It's, it's rude for of. your family to laugh at you. But that does sound <laughs> like my family. So that's very relatable. 
I'm sorry. Th- this this is insane to me. This happens, but you sound like you're heartened that this is the kind of discussion we're having. I now. am. We are we are getting um, encouraged because we're going places talking, and not only in and um, not only do we do our outreach in in um, in D.C., but I also do outreach in Maryland. And what we're seeing is that since Bernie has brought Medicare for all to the front to the forefront in 2016, a lot of people are asking. Maybe we do need Medicare for all. I had a woman that two years ago told me she was like, I would never support Medicare for all. I paid for Medicare to calling me and say, you know what, you might be right about this Medicare for all thing. This you youngins are right about that. So you know, this is it's changing. We're changing the discussion, and then it's people who are putting it out there. We just have to keep reminding people that Medicare Medicare would not be the same program. Once we get this bill passed, we're looking at a different program. No co-pays. You shouldn't have to pay for different things in order for you to get your health care, things that are medically necessary. So we're just putting the word out there and wanting people to understand that it's time for a difference. We're seeing a possible close of a hos- closure of a hospital because of our insurance system, because it is insurance run. Our ho- entire health care system is insurance run, and we're dealing with closures all throughout the country. We're dealing now fighting east of the river for hospitals. Um, because there's nobody with insurance that's going through that hospital. So they only have certain amount of poor, you know, people who are low income or older. But here's the thing. The hospital, even the private insurance will pay them a smaller rate than they would pay other hospitals. And even before you, by the way, even before you said East of the River, I knew that you were talking about Anacostia. Yeah, yeah. Southeast (laughs) D.C. Because we know that that is where some of the worst poverty in the district is. And when you also mentioned rural hospitals, we know that whether you're in Kansas or anywhere, in like wherever you are in the country that's experiencing extreme poverty, that hospital might be able to turn you away. And that is a system that is fundamentally broken. Alex, and again, this is from a Social Security angle, so a different entitlement program, but I imagine these are some of the same arguments you've heard over and over again, because these programs are delightfully torpedoed by the right. They are occasionally welcomed by the left. And then in these cycles, they tend to be, and we'll talk about, for example, uh, Mayor Pete, who's uh, using them as a, as a very much as a weapon uh, in, in a few moments. These cycles uh, tend to, they, they tend to be political footballs. So how are you looking at this through the lens, not just of the Medicare question, but also some of the other big entitlement uh, programs that are being discussed one way or the other in this primary cycle so far? So at uh, Social Security Works, where I'm the executive director, uh, we do fight to protect and expand Social Security and Medicare uh, and Medicaid and to lower prescription drug prices um, because we see it as the founders of Social Security did, which is an ever-expanding system of economic security. Um, Social Security uh, that people think of today in the Social Security Act, FDR said this is a cornerstone that we're building on. And if you read Francis Perkins, who is the person who actually created the Social Security system, the visionary behind it, a national health program was just around the corner because you cannot have economic security if you get sick and can go bankrupt from it, if you get hurt 
and can go bankrupt from and it. And this was 70 years ago when they were still, I think, using leeches at the time. I mean, this is not the robust healthcare. Pro- I joke, but this is not the robust right. healthcare that we're talking about right. today. Certainly not a fifth or a sixth of the United States economy. It wasn't in the 1940s and 50s when they're having this conversation. That's right. And what we're dealing with, though, is that um, they actually would be super disappointed with what we've built because I have one disagree. Actually, I have two. One uh, with you. Uh, How dare you? Yes. <laughs> one is that the word entitlement is terrible because it is you technically know, correct, uh, but they have turned this, I think, nine-letter word into a four-letter word. Uh, and the reason they do that is because no one knows what an entitlement is. It's so 11 letters. It's 11. Thank so you. So you're the one who's wrong. Yes, whatever 11. <laughs> do, do, no, that's 12. I don't know. O- I, had to, I had to write it and count it, <laughs> yeah. but I'm the one with notepad in front of me. So but we I always say win. earned benefits because that's earned. what they are, right? We, we No one gives us anything right. when it comes to Social Security or Medicare right. or Medicaid. We pay we into pay the for. system. Yeah. We pay for this, and it's there for us when we need it which is why Wall Street and their puppets here in D.C. hate it, because it works. They cannot profit off of systems that work. I want to get to the other thing that you said I was wrong about, and I'm not trying to delay that in any way, I promise. (laughs) But when you say earned benefit, I'm reminded of the fact that throughout these debates, and this is the fourth round of debates, throughout these debates we have seen over and over again right-wing talking points masquerading as moderate questions from the NBC moderators, from the CBS moderator, or excuse me, from the CNN moderators, from the uh, ABC moderator. This has happened before, and it's happened most specifically with Medicare Mm -hmm. because it's being framed as something's being taken from you with the question of private insurance. Now, first of all, most of the people who are discussing Medicare for All aren't talking about abolishing private insurance entirely. It would just be something that would be an addendum. And second of all, what a terrible way to, descri- to describe an expansion of a program. So uh, let, uh, let me start with Alex really quick mm-hmm. on this because you're you, – because uh, A, because you had another quibble with me and I want to let you have that moment. <laughs> but two, it's even worse than what I've done because it's actually something that has permeated the very – Uh, substrate upon which these questions are being asked. And that's a real problem for these debate nights. So the only, uh, to start with the quibble, (laughs) it's that I don't believe the system's broken. Um, And you said broken system, and I I say broken system a lot, but I, I try not to say it because our system that some people might get to see a doctor, some people don't, it's not broken, it's just not a healthcare system. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is extracting wealth from the people and transferring it to a small group of incredibly wealthy private equity firms, hedge funds, and things like that. They cannot stand a system like Medicare, which guarantees healthcare with no profit motive at all, uh, and that's why their propaganda arms, which are generally the corporate media, and (laughs) one thing, you're completely (laughs) right on the setups, but to be fair, th- this is even better than last cycle. Last cycle, they would just they they brought uh, a billionaire's uh, mm-hmm. organization, Pete Peterson, the Richard Nixon's Commerce Secretary. He founded an organization to just destroy Social Security and Medicare. Four questions they got at the debates, and they were always brought up as the nonpartisan think tank. And you're like, this is just aimed at destroying our stuff. So it's no surprise to me that the corporate media who are an arm of this incredibly wealthy private equity Wall Street group 
that tries to destroy things that work. Public education works, destroy it. Social security works, destroy it. Medicare works, destroy it. And what we're talking about is taking these systems that work and expanding on them. We're adding things, vision, dental, hearing, long-term care, no co-pays, no deductibles, and then we're gonna expand it to everyone in this country. And if you are looking to buy your fifth golden yacht off of these fees that you're gonna whack on uh, denials, that's, that's what they do. They take our premiums, deny our care. I'd be terrified too if I was you know, a sociopathic, no moral compass, private equity bro who made money off of chaos and misery. That's why <laughs> they come at it with everything they've got, uh, including the debate model. Well, I want to quibble with you because gold wouldn't float. Walla, I do want to uh, add. And I, I want to add something because I want to make sure people understand. Private, everyone likes their private insurance until it doesn't work for exactly. them. Exactly. You have to get sick. People would say, I love my private insurance. Well, that's because you don't use it, you know. But when someone gets really sick or has a chronic disease or illness or fatal illness, that is when the question really comes that we need to change the system. What we have to do is actually remind people that when you get the sickness, imagine the de deductibles you have to pay, 2500 I had to take an MRI. Um, um, you know, all of these things I never had before. And I had to pay $3,000 out of my pocket. And you know what? I'm a little fortunate that I had it. But to be honest, it still put a dent in my pocket. And I know many people, they say, you know, most people don't even have $3,000 in their savings account. No. So it, the reality is that we're talking about, you know, we talk about private insurance. Private insurance is actually what's destroying the healthcare system. It is, when I talked to, when I gave the discussion about private insurance um, uh, destroying rural and poor and um, low-income communities, what they do is that they have a rating system of how they pay um, pay certain hospitals. So if you are in a poor community, if you're in a low-income community or rural community, you will get a lower rating. That means you get a lower payment. So that means that you're getting a lower payment while some other hospital that has a better name and all that gets a higher payment. It's encouraging, they talk about throughout the, if you look throughout this country, Low-income rural hospitals are closing, and it's because of private insurance. So it is a problem. I think we really need to look at private insurance in a different way. When I just want to put you to you again, Walla, the question that I pushed to Alex, which was, is it frustrating when you see the framing as this being something that's being taken away from people? Because you're talking about fixing not a necessarily a broken system, but I think we can all agree a system that sucks for a lot of people a lot of the time, maybe. Um, but the, f the way it's being framed is unfortunate when we're trying to get better answers, especially from a Democratic primary that has, as you've both acknowledged, moved to the left on these questions, and the media is still coming from a right of center, and I hate to say the, the media, but the, the, the people who are asking these questions are still asking essentially right of center questions. That's not necessarily the most elucidating position. And, and yes, I actually, not only do I agree, but I, I think that what they've done, they're confusing people watching these shows because yes. they're actually saying, like I, I know I was listening to a discussion on Medicare for all and it was on CNN and somebody was just saying they were like you know um, you know this this program somebody might even say they're giving it to people that might not you know that didn't it's like you know another welfare or something they were just 
adding that it was just some sort of welfare program. The reality is that what they're trying to tell someone who is actually on Medicare is like someone's getting something that you, they don't deserve. And that's what I'm hearing from a lot of seniors. I, when we were doing door knocking, we talked to a lot of seniors who were saying, ah, you know, this whole, everybody talking about Medicare for all, but all they're going to do is, um, is just get all, I've been paying to the system for a long time. But then in the same breath, this person tells me why now Medicare is not covering this. Now Medicare is not covering that. Now Medicare doesn't cover this. Medicare Part D doesn't cover my prescription. Medicare used to, they used to do this, but this person doesn't do it. This is because the private insurance has seeped into the system, which is benefiting the big pockets that Alex talked about. And now because of that, that is impacting the Medicare, the Medicare system can't even compete because the private insurance is pushing for bigger bills at the top. So it, it, the whole system, if we take insurance out, people do not understand that once we take it out, it levels the entire system. And what I, the other thing that I think people don't understand, and I actually had, so the last time I was here in Local 16 and having a conversation, by the way, we do this on a regular basis here at Local 16 Tuesday nights, I actually had an economist from the Tax Foundation, which is a right-of-center think tank in Washington, and we were talking about this very question, and I asked him, I said, you know, what we're seeing in these primary debates is the fundamental question, as far as I can tell, and my background is as a White House reporter, uh, I, I tend to look at things from this perspective and, and try to understand what the big picture is. I feel like these debates are fundamentally about, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, the question of not necessarily liberal versus less you know, left or, or progressive, but about should profit be the window through which we seek to answer these fundamental questions? Prisons gun control, health care. These are big questions that have answers, and you were talking about other places around the globe. They've answered the question on guns. They've answered the question. And then when we come to health care, which is probably, and forget the environment, by the way, where, where the profit window is the worst possible outcome. And so I, I push this to you guys, both of you, which is, do you think that that is the crux? Because that, to me, having looked at this through the lens, by reporter's lens, this seems to be, we could talk about the differences between, for example, Warren and Sanders. But I think the fundamental question in this primary cycle so far is, should we use profit as the window through which we try to answer these questions? Do you th uh, Wallace, you, you're looking at me with concern, so I want to Well, I, wanna I just want to make sure that we say profits has actually properly been brought into the PRISM issue, into many issues, even when now people are talking about, you know, sort of the, the rich and how they get away with taxes. But I can actually say media has not tied profit to Medicare. To the healthcare system. They have not. And frankly, I feel like because of it's more of an entitlement discussion and a discussion about Alex government is money. Yell at you for using that about, word. Yeah, yeah no, but I'm just saying that's how it's discussed. It's discussed as an entitlement. It's discussed as a, almost like a tax free, like free college, free. That's what this lady said. She said, Oh, y'all just want everything free. Free college, free this, free that. But the discussion is Sounds about like a good idea to me, what 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 about we have not properly tied profit with the with the Medicare system and I think that's what Alex has often and effectively done we just get to, we got to get the talking points out there and media has helped in sort of dividing this putting profits in one sector for these for this issue but for Medicare it's just like not discussed Alex I'll mm -hmm. ask you the same question of you because obviously Walla brought up some points but I think fundamentally do you agree with me that that that's the prism through which we're seeing this cycle arrange itself because for me again one of these candidates is going to face Donald Trump as, as a candidate for president. We know where Donald Trump stands 
on the question of should corporations make more profit. He's pro. He's 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 totally not on clearly. Board. He does not clearly state that. That actually he's we know his actions so pro, pro. You're right. But his words do not. Well, that's true. And he's convinced a lot of very gullible people. Yeah. That he's actually some kind of man of the people. I don't know how he's done that, by the way, but right. but he's done it. Alex, am I looking at this the right way, or am I maybe overthinking a, a simpler problem? No, I think. Uh, well, it depends. I don't know which which is which is more simple. So I think the question is: Should a small band of greedy liars on Wall Street <laughs> control every aspect of, of our, our lives through a financialization of literally every person in this country? That's the but they always question. have, Alex. And, 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 and that's, that's what I think this is opening people's eyes to, this process that, in point of fact, they have definitely not. And in fact, since it's been since 1980 that we had this experiment where we were like, no, 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 let, let Wall Street do it. Let's see what happens when you inject this hyper-capitalism over everything. And now we've even gotten to the point, you see it with WeWork and Uber, where it's even over profits. Like, now we're in the dumb, we've gone plaid or something, right? Like, we've gone so far past that capitalism doesn't even make sense anymore. They're like, no, no, just growth, just growth. Just pump more Saudi money into it and growth forever. And then a $47 billion company, $47 billion, that was in air quotes, folks, that's WeWork's valuation. Now it's worth zero. Why? Because the system is bunk. And you have two people who have been challenging this their whole lives. Now, actually, uh, I read Ryan Grimm's book, We've Got People, and in it, because uh, I'll say that Bernie Sanders, you, you read stuff and watch him from whenever, and he's right. been telling this. The same you know, story. Uh, I, and I'll be damned if a small group of billionaires are going to balance. Right, that's from 1970, 1980, 1990, yeah, hilarious. His voice is not changed. It's true. <laughs> but... I really appreciate Elizabeth Warren as well. And in, in Ryan Grimm's book, it's Love a really Lizzie. fascinating story of how she came to this. She was actually pretty small-c conservative. And she right. believed that if you incurred a debt, you should pay that debt. And then she started working on bankruptcy. And she's like, wait a minute. This is not a fair thing. This is not like I'm going to borrow some money to buy something and then I'm just not going to pay it back. This is literally a predatory system that's sitting over us at like every turn and guiding people into taking out loans on houses, like pushing them to do that, guiding them into for-profit colleges. It's all a predatory scam. And the only response to that is government action. So it's like, I'm not disagreeing. It's just which, which sort of way do you wanna, mine has like villains. They wear top hats, they have fancy mustaches and whatnot. Um, yours is more like the, it's like math, right? Is it actually the profit motive? Uh, and I think there's a strong case to be made there. Or is it just this, the fact that since 1980, we've allowed it to just go out of control, right? Like we've allowed Wall Street and private equity to actually fundamentally warp the system and we can try to unwarp it. And I think that's the question that I can see. But you know what, I just want to make, I just want to make sure that we understand that even though we're talking about this profits and sort of just like, you know, we have to actually recognize that it is not all connected to Americans. 
So I remember when Bernie was talking about millionaires and billionaires, all of this, and I can't do the voice. Please don't. But, <laughs> but when he said that, I remember because I was a, one of the you know big Bernie supporters. You know, a lot of people came to me. They said, you know, he's just talking about one issue. He needs to talk about other issues. But it's like, but that is the issue. It's every issue. It is every issue yeah. because actually, if you connect all of in education, healthcare, prison, all of these things, you're gonna point. They say follow the money, right? That's what they said in all, all presidents' men. When you follow the money, you find that it all goes to Wall Street. So it is the issue, and I feel like most most Americans don't know that. Walla Begay is, is to my left. She's a staff attorney with D.C. Nurses Association. Alex Lawson, also to my left, executive director of the uh, Social Security Works. We're going to come right back, and I want to talk about, when we do, what you're expecting tonight and what you think about some of the different candidates, specifically some of the questions, the, the, the fractures that we've seen on some of the issues that are near and dear to your hearts. At the table, Jared Rizzi, back in a moment. I'm Jared Rizzi, and this is At the Table. Once again, we're at Local 16, 16th and U Street here in Washington, D.C. If you are able to join us, please do. They have the debates on. I even think they've got there's some kind of baseball game on tonight. I don't know what's going on. They've got that on as well, but you don't care about that. The other thing I want to mention, not only do we do this on a regular basis on Tuesday nights, but also there are always about three or four other events here, and I know that there's a, a Bernie group up here, there's usually a DNC group up here, there are a bunch of debate watches who are making their home somewhere in this facility. There are like eight different places to do things, drink things, eat things, watch things. So if you find yourself wandering around Local 16 and you see a, a red checkered tablecloth, that's me, or someone else who's just impersonating the Great British Baking Show, just just go with it. Halloween's coming up. You might want to get a costume. Uh, joining me is Walla Blagay, who is a staff attorney at the D.C. Nurses Association. Walla, I'm going to talk to you later after the debate begins about how I was in the hospital. Uh, I had three ER visits and two surgeries in the last 10 days. Wow. And the nurses in Washington, D.C. were are all amazing. amazing. I know Some of the are. best people in the damn world. And I, they were a I, 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 and without a doubt. And the best part of this conversation, and again, we'll do this off the air because it's not about me and my <laughs> bullshit, um, was that everyone I've talked to about my awful situation had a worse story about the problem that you described at the beginning of the last segment, which is I don't have the best insurance. I don't have everything. I have great insurance through my wife's work, and so I was treated like a damn king, but the problem that we face over and over again is that not everyone's in that system. And I know that you're advocating for a Medicare for All situation. Alex Lawson's also joining me. He's the executive director at Social Security Works. Alex, I want to start this question to you, which is that we have seen the schism in this primary front and center, a candidate who I actually thought quite a bit of. My wife thinks it's because I'm a, a Notre Dame alum, uh, that I like him, uh, liked him as much as I did at the beginning of this race. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, whose dad was a teacher I had at Notre Dame, uh, before he passed, and uh, who has done a, uh, made a lot of really good points about a few issues. But this week, this week, had a torpedo ad uh, against other candidates in the race, Warren and Sanders specifically, asking them to explain their position about Medicare for all. What is this internecine warfare in the Democratic Party? We see this often. Why is it taking this shape at this time, Alex? Um, it's, you know, the short answer is politics. How uh, dare you? That's right. such a cop-out. No, I, I, I can actually probably get pretty pretty close to what, what happened here. Um, so 
Mayor Pete's a good dude. I mean, like, it made sense. The stuff he did on the DNC reform after 16, I mean, like, I think he, coming into the race, looked great. Then he started doing really good. Then the Wall Street donors who have backed the Democratic Party for since 19... Preach. Uh, they actually were like, well, we're not going with Warren. We're not going with Sanders. <laughs> Biden looks like he He's might take failing. himself out. Right. <laughs> and so they started backing Mayor Pete. Now, it's also, by the way, it's Liz Smith's birthday today for very inside baseball. So happy birthday to Liz Smith if she's listening to this conversation. All right. And, and, you know, what was his last total? Twenty five million dollars. So, you know, what comes with those big checks? Those big checks (laughs) come with strings and those strings are now you hit the things that hurt our bottom line as a class of elite, ultra-wealthy Wall Street donors. And that means hitting Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders on Medicare for All. They see this as the, the, the – if we can transform from the system that we have to a healthcare system, it breaks their whole ideology to smithereens. You can't do – this transition and then believe that, you know, oh, no, we'll just privatize the public schools or all their privatization schemes, which is actually so like I hate the word privatization because it sounds like maybe that's a good thing. And you're like, we should just call it looting and it would make way more sense. Right. They're like, we should loot the public schools. And you're like, don't loot the public schools. Right. My kids go there like we should loot Medicare. And you're like, no, keep your greedy hands off of my Medicare. That's what we're seeing here. And so I get why he did this because you do not raise $25 million without some strings unless you're Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who both raised $25 million except they did it in chunks of $27, right? That's what Wall Street is terrified of, that they won't control the party anymore. When they lose control of the party, the party stops for them. And starts for us. And then we all rejoice and dance and it'll be fun. But before that, it's going to be a fight. And that's what we're seeing here. I don't, you know, I don't get 12 people on the stage. They no should, one does. They should have put a, a Alex Lawson filter on right at the very end. And I just take people off the stage who shouldn't be there anymore because it's pretty clear. We have, we're seeing things come into focus uh, except for Andrew Yang. I literally don't know what's going on with him. He's Not at all. unpredictable to me because he's raising serious money. I don't know where it's coming from. But like other than that, you're seeing the two faces of the Democratic Party, the, the two futures as well. Are we going to be a party that actually people. listens to the people? Right. And, do, and the people are the bosses because they're raising the money. Or are we going to be a party of big dollar donors who call the shots, they call the tunes, and when they say attack ad, you drop an attack ad. And I love you talked about the sort of the small donors versus the big donors. That really is the change in this whole process. This is the first time that we're getting it where it's a true clear. I mean, Bernie kind of brought the small. We remember at one point that Obama was small donors, but he wasn't all small donors, right? Well, he made the promise against super PACs and then just threw it out the window. Exactly. And now we had the Bernie that was like $27. And then that kind of changed things. So now we're getting to the point where the Democratic Party is having a fight with itself. Do we have to listen to, you know, 
donors that are are just small 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 donor driven. And here's what's so funny about it that they just call them well they're just progressives. It's like oh so just progressives were able to get millions to two different candidates. That's not that's not that's not just progressives. That's people who care about issues. Pete Buttigieg called it pocket change. I think today or yesterday, (laughs) and you're like. $50 Fifty million dollars right. is not pocket it's, change. It's not. Pocket that's change. a movement. That's not. That's not. Not only is it a movement, but here's the thing. I think he was Elizabeth talking about Wayne Massam, who had like five dollars in this quarter. No, he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, both again, a small insight. I'm sorry. This is the joke for like the three people in the audience who's gonna who are gonna know who <laughs> Wayne is. You know, let alone actually, he's not on the stage tonight. There are twelve people, by the way. He is not. Well, he might be in the audience, but he's not on the stage. I'm sorry. While I interrupted. And you. of course, you know, I would say I am one of those progressives, but. Here's what the reality. We have two candidates that are got major that are on a, on that stage simply because of issues alone. It's not because they look cool. It's not because their families are cool. It's not because they have the look. You know, it's not because of that. It is because of issues alone. This is changing the Democratic Party. And that's what makes me feel so great about watching these debates because now it's forcing the people who were jumping on issues to actually have to at least address it, but not really. I want to talk about one issue in particular and the way it has evolved in this debate because we're coming up on the time when the debate will actually start and you two will go on to your lives and I will be here because of the terrible sins that I've committed in my past and continue (laughs) to take notes. Um, But for the people who are on this debate stage tonight, there seems to be, and I want, by the way, Alex, you mentioned this, these two camps, the, the corporatist camp and the, small camp and the small donor camp, and I want you to name names in a minute. But before we get to that, I've been looking at the Medicare issue specifically, and it feels like there's a portion of which that say Medicare for all or bust, and then there's the people who are like, let's try to weasel in a public option and get that in there. And and you have well, some it depends really, on the day, right? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. Talk about and like Kamala Harris, for example, yeah. who has definitely evolved more. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is some radioactive evolution she's gone exactly. through. So where do you see this debate happening? And what are the problems for President whomever? In you know January of 2021, when they're facing you know potentially Majority Leader McConnell and Speaker whoever the hell and like this could be it's still gonna be a tough road ahead, but they're making some very big promises. But there are still two camps. Where are we and what the hell is going on, Walla? I I personally would say that watching the debates are frustrating for me. When 12 people on the stage, it gives just what most of those candidates want a way to escape the question. So the question is like, what are you going to do about health care? It's like, oh, but this, oh, but public option, because, you know, I want everyone to have health care and health care should be human right and blah, 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 blah. And by the end of that, that's like not there's no quite there's no answer. Um, so that's what I've seen from every debate. I'm not sure where all the rest of only people that I know where they clearly stand is those who have who, I, who have opposed. And that's um, what's my guy from Maryland? I should, I always John Delaney. John Delaney has been clear. I do not future future healthcare lobbyist John Delaney, I believe. Maybe future, he might be already <laughs> in the job. You know what I mean? So you know, he's already. You know, he's clearly like, I don't like Medicare for all. We have the two activists, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, that they're supporting Medicare for all, and I think everybody else has not said anything. That's Alex, how I feel. Would you would you say that same division? Like you've got those two, and then everyone else is in the other camp for you. You have uh, maybe there's like three camps there because I would also say then you have some folks who are running for vice president or something, right? Like the Castros, uh, the it's Bernie and Warren are fighting for Medicare for all. That's that's what they're doing. 
Um, everyone else is not. And then you have some, you know, so Biden is attacking Medicare for all, yes. using right-wing talking points. Mayor Pete is trying to take Biden's place, so he's playing the exact same game. Uh, I think Harris is trying to have it both ways and comes out getting nothing. Um, Booker is... Fake. Is Booker. <laughs> he, I mean, I, I think he... Will say anything. I think he is going to... You know, step back. Future First Lady Rosario Dawson, though. I mean, come on. You've oh, got to wow. imagine a world. Uh, my last question, because we are coming up right on this uh, on this debate, when we're talking about the the two people that you guys have been the most bullish about, Warren and Sanders, the distinctions between them, policy wise, very few. Philosophy wise, a schism, and. Fundamentally, she's a capitalist. He's a socialist. Do you see either of those as being problems either for the general election or within the Democratic Party? Because we've certainly seen a lot of, again, attack ads to that effect, and the president would love nothing better than to have that hammer uh, to, to blast either or both of them. And, and, and we know that Republicans are going to call whatever goes up there as a socialist anyway. So are either of these problems, and are they surmountable? While I'll go to you first. I, I don't I, I don't see these as two different camps. I, you know, they're pretty similar on both issues. Um, on all, most of the issues, they're very similar. So I, I don't see, I think that this naming of like, whether you're a socialist, whether you're a Democrat, look, I've always considered myself to be a Democrat. I've never considered myself to be a socialist. But do I believe in Medicare for all? Yes. Do I believe in free college? Yes. Do I believe in all of that? I mean, yes, 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 yes. Check them all. I'm still a Democrat. So does that make me any different from somebody who says they're a socialist and they want the same things? We're standing for the same policies. I think this is this whole division of like where you stand and all this, this is what is going to destroy this entire system. We said this will be the destruction of the Democratic Party. Because somebody will say, but, but are you a Democrat? It's like, but why, do, why are people Democrats, right? Are they Democrats just to call themselves Democrats? There is a small percentage that is. But there is a good percentage that is like in the fight in the Democratic Party because they believe they believe believe in this in these particular issues. But I will say this: African Americans is one group that I'm fine that they're defecting from the Democratic Party. A lot of them they won't go to some of them. Will, some of them are going to Republican. This is beyond party. Candace Owens. This is not just. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> Candace. I don't even know if she was ever. I don't know what she was. But I would say African American. A lot of African American voters are looking at the Democratic Party to say. We were, we are Democrats, but only if you push the issues that we support. And if you don't, we will be independent. And you know what? And if you push the issues that we have, then we are Democrat. But the the idea that you have to put yourself in a particular thing to say, I am this and therefore I'm this, those days should be gone. And that's what we're trying to say in the progressive movement. It's like, it's about the issues. It's not about the label. Alex, do you have any quibbles? No, I think that that's that's pretty right. I think there are, you know, like in certain sections, there are, there's a, you know, with the Democratic Socialists of America who I love and they do great work. And I they're right downstairs yeah. and they're rowdy. It's wonderful. And I think that that label does uh, mean something. I mean, to be like really broad brushstrokes about it, I think the capitalist label helps with older people and the socialist label helps with younger people. Um, and I think that it's not a problem in the general because you could abolish the IRS and the Republicans would still call you a socialist, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't matter. So thinking, worrying about what the Republicans are going to do is dumb because we know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to lie. They're going to cheat. They're going to steal. They're going to label everything uh, socialism and un-American. So I think that question is sort of um, almost academic, but it is meaningful for some groups. 
Um, but in terms of the difference between Bernie and Warren, you know, like Wallace said, the, the big difference is that they release plan after plan after plan, like detailed, boring white paper documents or bill after bill after bill. Um, compared with you know what we used to get in politics, which, which was we support working families. Yep. We support working families. Focus, we support working families. Like group, what does that mean? Focus group <laughs> problem that that they literally were like try to say as little as possible because you don't want right. to you know tie your hands and you're like no we do want you to tie your hands right. but we want to know what you stand for. Right. Um, that's what I see right now. And if you want three more hours of pablum, the Democratic primary debate is about to start. I'm Jared Rizzi, and this is At the Table. I want to thank Alex Lawson, again, Executive Director, Social Security Works, and Walla Blagay, who is a staff attorney with DC Nurses Association. Thank you both so much for spending some time with me, and enjoy the pablum. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Walla. Thank you. Thanks, thank you Alex. so much Love for it. having yeah. me. Really, really glad you could both join me. Thank you. And thanks to the crowd here at Local 16. We will be back after this for the uh, some post-debate analysis. I will have a few drinks, and once I get the sauce in me, you know that it'll be a little bit more freewheeling. So uh, enjoy that. Enjoy the uh, the debates, and we will be back after that.